Today in our reading from Acts, the book we always read during the season of Easter, the book that tells about the spread of the way, the Jesus movement from Jerusalem out throughout the Mediterranean world, we get to overhear a short sermon from Paul in the city of Athens, the ancestral seat of all things sophisticated, fantastic art and architecture, poetry and plays, athletics, and the Greek language spoken by Paul himself, the language of the whole empire. Athens was the home of the great philosophers. Its streets were lined with temples, statuary, and monuments, and rhetoricians, of which Paul himself is an excellent example. They honed their craft every day in the public squares. And Paul was there having a few days off, waiting for the heat to blow over after some unpleasantness in Thessalonica. Paul walked along in this legendary city and saw the temples and the statues and the mosaics and perhaps shook his head, thinking, these people are headed in the wrong direction. I wish that they could see the light, and perhaps I can help them see it. And so in a brilliant and, I must say, somewhat uncharacteristic move for Paul, instead of condemning them, Paul looks to find common ground with the Athenians. As he speaks, he engages them by meeting them where they are and treating them as legitimate conversation partners in their differing approaches to God. How often do you see that? These days it seems that to find common ground with those with whom we differ only gains us the accusation that we are not being true to our own team. Discussion seems to always be set up so that there is a them to our us, and the object of any conversation is simply for our side to win. Paul is not interested in playing that kind of game here. He meets the Athenians where they are, he recognizes that they are religious people who exhibit public piety. And he starts the conversation by praising these things instead of condemning them and castigating their practices. He quotes from their own cultural canon and expresses appreciation for the things that they appreciate. He speaks as one who also gropes for God, who understands their yearnings to find God too. He approaches them with the attitude that their culture contains the means of ascertaining religious truth. Again, how often do you see that? And then he urges them to, to hear his story, a story about a God who acted in history by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus, the one who came to reconcile the world to God and us to one another. He speaks the gospel to them, but in a way that seeks to find resonance with their culture and their understanding. He interprets the story using new language, new imagery that moves beyond its home base 
into a world far beyond Palestine. This doesn't change the basic truth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the world's salvation. But the gospel always has to find new words for new circumstances. The culture that the gospel encounters is always evolving, always changing. And Christians and the church have to find new ways to speak to a changing world. And this is not easy. For one thing, we know that we stand somewhat apart from the world. We are in the world, but not of it, as we like to say. Sometimes we feel tension about that and find ourselves unsure how to stand apart without simply rejecting or how to take part in the world's business and pleasure without losing our souls. We wonder where the lines are and get caught up in what sometimes amounts to trivia in the face of this cosmic story of salvation. Is drinking a little sherry okay? Is buying Elvis Presley records okay? Is Facebook okay? Are mosques in our neighborhood okay? Are we sailing out to the world if we aren't constantly drawing lines and more lines? And then there is the problem of having one's faith challenged through an encounter with something entirely unexpected, in-laws of another faith tradition, teenagers, a diagnosis, death, an announcement of some reality that you are not ready to face. And you can insert your own not-ready-for-prime-time reality here. Every generation has to do this, to find new ways to live out the gospel in whatever situations we encounter, which means we have to be open to other people's realities. From the gospel of John, we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth, who helps us test things out, who helps us be true to the gospel in whatever new situations we encounter. The Spirit is trustworthy if we will but listen for the Spirit's promptings. Jesus reminds us today, as he told his disciples on that night before he died, that the Holy Spirit is like Jesus himself. The Spirit is another advocate who abides in us who guides us, who whispers love to us, who helps us see past the surface and into the heart of things, who helps us speak and live that love to those who need to hear and feel it. And Paul's Athenian sermon reminds us that we ought to do so in a spirit of generosity and openness. To be willing to see new ways that the story can be lived and told. To remember that Jesus came so that everyone might have life abundant. And not be afraid to see the possibility of life 
in places that may at first challenge us. The church's history right up to last week is riddled with examples of rigidness, of drawing lines to say who is in and who is out. It's so easy to fall into that same old trap of thinking that there must be winners and losers, that for one person to be right, another one has to be wrong, that we cannot stoop to finding common ground, or else we betray our cause. The saddest thing that I read in the media frenzy about the folks waiting for the rapture was the story in which some parents told their children that they would be left behind when the parents were taken up into heaven on May 21st because the children did not believe as the parents did. I cannot imagine how those children did not feel betrayed by their own parents. Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you orphaned. Would that those parents could have said the same. I am sure those parents were wrong. And yet, in light of our story today, I wonder how we might speak to those parents with compassion. How we might find common ground to respect their dignity as children of God and appreciate their faith in hopes of being able to speak to them about a God of love who does not leave children behind. And on this Memorial Day weekend and this week after yet more devastation from yet more tornadoes, let us remember not only those who died in service to our country, but also let us remember that there is nothing loving about picketing soldiers' funerals with signs that blame gay people for those soldiers' deaths. That there is nothing loving in putting up on your website that those who died last week in Joplin, Missouri were struck down by God because Americans are coming more and more to believe that same-sex love can be true love. I have to admit, I have a lot of trouble imagining that I have any common ground with the people who are picketing in Joplin, Missouri today while our president visits that city. But I cannot preach God's love without recognizing that we are all children of the same creator. I am sure that they are wrong. And yet I have to wonder how I might speak to them with compassion about a God who does not hate and cause death, but weeps and grieves with those who weep and grieve, like Jesus at the grave of Lazarus. This doesn't mean we don't speak our own truths, but it does mean that we do so with humility, with a generosity of spirit, because God is love, 
And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus' commandments are all about love. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as he has loved us. We must have the courage to speak and live the gospel of love in ways that others can hear and in the places where they are, which may well be dark and sad and lonely and even twisted places, as well as in situations that are just different, things that we just don't understand the way my grandparents couldn't understand Elvis. The world is full of people who were lost and desperate to find acceptance and meaning in their lives. And if our response is to simply draw lines between ourselves and them, we have failed to live out the good news about the God in whom we live and move and have our being. We don't need to be afraid of new places and new realities because the good news is the same as it always was. That ours is a God who showed through Jesus Christ that love, not rules, not dogma, not even doctrine, but love is stronger than fear. That love is stronger than betrayal. That love is stronger than death. And so this is our Easter proclamation. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.